Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way. Love is what you make. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching where real life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, I'm a little bit under the weather, and, and I want to ask you, uh, now we've, we've been in COVID uh, isolation kind of for two years, and during that whole period of time, I never had as much as a sniffle. And since I, October, you know, since October, I've had three horrendous head colds, you know, colds with, you know, low-grade fevers. And uh, it's, it's very disconcerting. I mean, but I guess it's the immune system. I guess we, we need to get those occasional uh, bugs every once in a while just to uh, to kind of keep us healthier. So what's your, you know, just if you're curious, I'm curious, you know, you can always contact me for anything. And especially if you have some, uh, some ideas for, for podcasts coming up or questions, but, but, but you can also let me know, are you also <laughs> suffering from colds after cold after cold? It's, it's really kind of annoying, understandable, but definitely annoying. I, I had to muster up all my energy to do this podcast. And, and as much as I enjoy doing these podcasts, uh, truth be told, uh, I had to get myself off the couch and drag myself over here. But now I'm feeling a little bit more energetic. That's what thinking about psychology stuff does to you. So today, since, since I'm, I'm functioning on six of eight cylinders, I thought it might be a good idea to try to give a, a simple sketch as to why self-coaching as a psychological uh, method, but, but simply let me just say this, self-coaching is, is really something that has evolved for me over 45 years, and its application has proven to me over and over again that there is merit to, to it. Uh, it is a combination of coaching it is a combination of more cognitive behavioral psychology and some neuroplasticity to throw in there. So we, we have three, three ingredients that, that form self-coaching. And the reason it's called self-coaching is rather obvious because my intent has been from the beginning to not have therapy linger for years as it often does, uh, to be able to reach people through writing and lectures and, and be able to handle their own psychology, their own struggles with enough information to be truly effective and not to feel at a, at a loss when it comes to looking at things psychological, especially the things that hobble us, the things that trip us up. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the simplicity of self-coaching. And I'm going to start off with uh, a story that I like to tell quite often whenever I have the opportunity, and that's the story of Thumper the Frog. It's important for you to hear this story just because of the lesson that it teaches. 
So once there was a, a, a swamp, and in the swamp, uh, none of the frogs had ever gone beyond the swamp to see what was on the other side of this large stone wall. And the curiosity had peaked over the years and years and generations. And one day the mayor of the frog, the frog town decided that this was time to really get over that wall, get somebody up there to see what's on the other side of the wall. So the, the mayor decided to have a race. And they enlisted all the strongest and fittest of frogs in the swamp, and there were five of them. And they were starting at the starting line, and they were to run full speed up to the wall and then leap up and try to pull themselves over. And the winner would, of course, become historic in all of frog lore for the rest of, uh, for the rest of creation time for frogs. But as they were about to start, a little sickly frog came over to the starting line and, and joined the five strong fro frogs. This was Thumper. And, you know, Thumper didn't look much like he was going to even make it to the wall, but the gun went off and all the frogs went. And one thing you do need to know is that frogs are eternal pessimists. They really are. And they are very, very negative. And as the race started, the frogs on the sidelines were saying, stop stop don't go you guys are going to pull a muscle you're going to get hurt don't do it don't do it so all the way they're yelling at the frogs that are in the race and one by one the frogs started to drop out you don't do it you can't it's too hard another frog would drop out by the time they got to the wall there was only one frog left and that was thumper and thumper jumped up onto the wall he made it about two feet below the top of the wall and he's hanging on and the people below, the pessimistic frogs are saying, they're imploring him, please let go, we'll catch you. Don't go any higher, it's too dangerous. And on and on with their pessimistic uh, instructions to try to help poor old Thumper from getting hurt. But Thumper didn't listen. No, he kept going. And he kept going one hand hold after another, after another inch by inch by inch. And Thumper made it to the top of the wall. And Thumper looked over the wall, and he was, in fact, the first frog ever to see what was on the other side of the wall. Now, now you may ask, well, what was it about Thumper that allowed him to, to really persevere and get over that wall in spite of the harangue of all the other frogs? Well, you see, the reason Thumper succeeded where no frog ever had before was because Thumper was deaf. And that's the storyline here. Thumper didn't hear the negativity. Thumper turned a deaf ear to the naysayers. He wasn't affected. And that, my friends, is the absolute essence of self-coaching. Because there is within us a whole host of hysterical, negative frogs. Well, not really frogs, but... Uh, kind of voices, if you will, the I can't, it's too hard, I'll never make it. And when we learn to turn a deaf ear, when we learn to ignore that in us, which is counterproductive, and at times even destructive, then the life that we have is one that can really scale not only walls, but life struggles and life's difficulties. 
So where does our swamp reside? Let's start with the very basic assumption, uh, and that is self-coaching assumption, and that is that it all begins with insecurity. Now, everyone has insecurity. I've never met anyone without it, and I doubt you ever will, because why is everyone insecure to some extent? Well, because no one grows up in a perfect world. No one has perfect parents. Everyone suffers loss, uh, sickness, illness, separation, deaths. So to some extent, the human condition is such that we all have some degree of insecurity. So let's start with that premise. So what does insecurity do to the human condition, to that child beginning to emerge? Well, it causes a feeling of vulnerability. When we are insecure, we are beginning to feel vulnerable. So what happens when we feel vulnerable? Well, we don't have claws to fight off and wings to fly away and armor to protect ourselves. We, we really are psychological beings. So we develop strategies, psychological controlling strategies to protect us. And what that means is that we need to compensate for the insecurity and the vulnerability we feel. So a very young child growing up might just stumble upon certain strategies that work. For example, shyness. Uh, a child may find that being shy offers them or affords them the ability to kind of, you know, recede into the sidelines and get away from the fray and, and not have to face challenges. And maybe sometimes even get some uh, comfort from adults who come over and, and say, oh, what's wrong? Can I help out? So shyness, well, the opposite, hostility. The bully, you know, tries to compensate by, by dominating uh, but then there are inner kinds of control, compulsivity, worry. Worry is a very compulsive strategy. But what do we do when we worry? Well, we're trying to anticipate what's coming around that corner. If we know what's coming, we can brace, we can be ready. So you see, again, we are trying to compensate for our vulnerabilities. Now, what's important for you to understand is that you may not be able to go back and backtrack all and how the evolution of your control, vulnerability, insecurity began. But nevertheless, it is the need to control life that is both good and bad. Some control, like taking vitamins, fastening your seatbelt, this is a good form of control. But what about the neurotic form of control? And I mentioned compulsivity, that's a good example. Or, or obsessive worrying and rumination. You see, once, once worry becomes disproportionate, irrational, then it becomes part of a neurotic kind of lifestyle. Because now, you know, we, we are absolutely convinced that we can't handle life without our defenses, without our controlling strategy. So we try harder and harder to control life. And here's the important point, harder and harder to control life rather than living our life. So why do I say not living our lives? Well, because when you rely on control, you know, there's this kind of exclusivity that takes place and we start to rely more and more on control and less and less on our own resources, 
our self-trust. So controlling life in a neurotic sense to try to control life, when we become controlling, we tend to diminish our self-trust. Instead of building trust, we are, we are now beginning to erode the trust that exists. So the core of self-coaching begins with insecurity, but the end game of self-coaching is self-trust. Okay, so it starts with insecurity, vulnerability, we feel threatened or in, we feel vulnerable. So the child tries to find strategies and these strategies become habits. They become habit loops in our brain. We become warriors, we become compulsive people, we become introverted, extra, all these things happen because we're trying to stay safe. And they define our personality as we get older into adulthood. And now let's go back to Thumper. So you're in your, your Thumper phase right now, and you're headed for that wall, you've got goals, you're trying to succeed. But if your controlling strategies are in play, you're probably listening to those frogs. Don't do it. You can't. It's too hard. And one by one, you start to fall down in terms of your struggles you, that you face. So, so you see, we need to go against the habituated patterning in our lives. So how do we do that? Well, we have to, we really have to train ourselves to break the habits of insecurity. And like any habit, you need to know that all habits are learned and all habits can be broken, all habits. So if you're insecure, if you're struggling with anxiety, with depression, these are all implications of self-distrust. Take, take anxiety, for example. I always say anxiety, the best way to think about anxiety is if you have a house with a circuit breaker and, you know, every time you heat up all the appliances and the air conditioning, you're running on generating all this electricity, the, the wires get pretty hot. So all of a sudden the fuse goes. So with anxiety, what you do is you run over and you put a bigger fuse in. So now you can handle more and more and then you put more more electric things you plug in and plug in and the next fuse blows so now you put it from a 10 a 10 amp to a 15 amp to it now you throw in a 20 amp and you keep doing that eventually what's going to happen you're going to reach a point where the overload on the house is so great that the fuses can't handle it the house burns down well that's what happens when you have an anxiety attack a panic attack uh yeah, you might be running with just anxiety and you're running on a 20 amp fuse and you're heating up the wires in your brain. But, uh, but really, it's, it's really a matter of not replacing faulty breakers. It's a matter of reducing the load. And again, there goes Thumper. And Thumper's not listening to all of that chatter. The more you listen to the chatter of the insecurity the more you're loading yourself with negativity, with pessimism, and anxiety is a result. Depression is, is kind of the opposite. You know, depression is where, you know, the, the, we shut down the breakers because we, we feel unsafe and we're trying to recoil. But, you know, what happens when you shut down breakers? Well, you lose functionality. I'm talking about 
the house metaphor again. <laughs> when you shut down the, the circuit breakers in the house to protect yourself, well, you're losing functionality. You no longer can turn on lights or the TV. So the, what depression does is, is it's, it tries to recede away from the dangers, the vulnerabilities of life and protect you. You know, that's what all these controlling strategies are ostensibly to protect you from you, from life. And the downside is you suffer. So Thumper gives us at least an inclination of what the end game is. And that's to learn to break the habits of insecurity, okay? Sounds simple. So how do we do that? Well, you see, first of all, it's, it's the, the, the equation isn't complicated. The, the equation is to realize that you, if you're suffering, if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, uh, emotional struggles, then if you are in that loop, then you need to realize that insecurity is calling the shots. Uh, insecurity is sending the messages to uh, the frogs running the race, the I can't, you better not stop, you'll get hurt. And your controlling strategies go into full gear and you're trying to protect yourself. And when the controlling strategies falter, you know that's when you start to get symptoms. Um, another metaphor that might help is, is think of a juggler. And all the controlling strategies you have, whether it be worry, whether it be uh, compulsivity, whatever the controlling strategies are that help you to avoid avoidance, for example, uh, you would call that the turtle where you pull in for you into your shell to protect yourself. So avoidance and we've got compulsivity and we've got uh, uh, just worry, ruminative worry, all these balls are juggled in the air and you, you know, as long as the juggle is going, you're fine. But what happens with a juggler in actuality? Well, lactic acid in the muscles. Eventually, the juggle falters, the balls fall down, and that's when symptoms do occur. So you can't sustain the juggle, not forever. And, and while these balls are falling down and falling all around, you're having symptoms. So the answer isn't more control. You know, a neurotic person might think that that's exactly what they need. They they need to become more neurotic, and that's you know that's not don't don't laugh at that. I mean, I I often have felt that a good deal of patients I've worked with, they don't come to therapy to, to work things out. They come to become better neurotics. You know, the worrier wants to uh, be able to be more effective at worrying. It's true, but when you tell people that they really have to change their style. They have to change their approach to life. They have to change themselves. Uh, you, have to, you have to abandon those controlling strategies, which is very frightening because it's, it's almost like you feel very vulnerable and naked now without your controlling strategies. And as we could assume you would, since there is inadequate self-trust. And again, that's the end game of self-coaching. And it is the building of the self-trust muscle. The self-trust muscle has atrophied when we rely on controlling strategies. So we have to build self-trust. The only way we're going to build self-trust is to take incremental small risks to prove that we can handle life. Now, you are a survival machine. 
Everything you need to survive is within you, but some of it is immobilized and some of it is frozen by your fears, your insecurities, and we have to release some of that to allow you to realize your full potential. So maybe what we're talking about right now is that you really need to get some training, like going to the gym. We need to build the trust muscle, the self-trust muscle. And, and as I say, if you can't go north and south at the same time, you can't rely on those controlling strategies if you're trying to build self-trust. So for the warrior, for example, you know, in, instead of anticipating, you know, what, what the experience is going to be at the dentist and worrying about it and fretting about it, that would be to risk just not thinking about it. Just say, no, I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to risk going and just see how I handle it. And I always use dentists and things like that, but it could be anything. Uh, what's important, though, is that you you need to find out that you won't let yourself down. In, in the moment, you have all these resources that are there, but if you eclipse them with controlling strategies, of course, they never get exercised. So we need to break the habits of the past, the insecurity habits that have eroded the self-trust muscle. And the only way we're going to do that is for you to realize that this, this isn't you know, psychobabble. It's about breaking habits, habits that have held you down. And the habits that have held you down are habits of control, which have eroded your self-trust muscle. Since you don't trust you and you do trust your strategies of control, then, of course, we have to reverse that. And you have to risk finding out that you can handle life directly from a place of strength rather than a place of control. So we need to first become aware of our controlling strategies. Uh, we need to become aware of those things that hold us back. Uh, take, for example, pessimism. Optimism, pessimism, they're both, they're both projections into the future. But I think you'll agree with me that the optimist lives a very different life in the present. Now, to be optimistic, if, if you're a pessimist listening to this, that may sound like a leap, but think about it for a second. To become an optimist, um, it's, it's a leap of faith. Why not? What do you have to lose by saying that I'm going to get that job? Now, maybe you won't get the job, but in the moment, if you are optimistic, it kind of releases you. It releases you to be present. The pessimist is there, you know, biting the nails and, you know, just wringing those hands. And uh, so, so basically, we're talking about taking a leap of faith to risk believing in yourself and in your resources and not the controlling strategies that hold us down. And perhaps, this, and, and I've mentioned it a few times already, but perhaps the most ubiquitous controlling strategy is, in fact, worrying. Worrying kind of underlies almost all the struggles that we face in life, whether it's anxiety or depression uh, or just any emotional struggle. If you think about it, there's always that worry. You know, what if this and what if that and the whining that goes with worrying and the fear that goes with worrying. So let's just use worrying as the, the kind of quintessential controlling strategy, fretting, worrying, anticipating, 
rather than living life in the present, letting it unfold, we're always somewhere in the future trying to handle life because we don't trust ourselves in the present. So why would we trust our future self? And come back to Thumper. Thumper didn't hear all that negative chatter. Thumper only thought about the wall, getting over the wall, and had the confidence and optimism to keep going. So when you're listening to those hysterical frogs, you don't have a shot. So we have to quiet the frogs. So we do that by active listening. You have to feel those frogs in you, whether it's where it's the worrisome anticipatory anxiety about what's coming tomorrow and the next day and what will you do if you've got to actively hear that part of you. Now, one way to do that, and this sounds a little bit crazy, I know, it's not, is to recognize that insecurity has developed its own voice. And it was developed early in your life. And it has a childlike quality, you know, a, a, almost a hysterical-like quality. Oh, no, I can't handle it. It's too hard. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear yourself sounding more childlike and insecure than the more mature, healthy you. So the first thing you want to do is you want to make a dichotomy. You want to say who, when you're up against something that you're stumbling with, ask yourself, who's, who in me is talking right now. Uh, I'm using talking in quotes. Who in me is talking? Uh, does it sound like a child? Does it sound hysterical? Does it sound, it doesn't, or does it sound mature and healthy? If it sounds like the child, like the insecure, I call it the child reflex, by the way, because it's reflexive. We, we don't really hear it unless we're listening for it. We, we more or less react to it viscerally. But when you listen for it, when you tune into that, and this is active listening, when you tune into that, you realize, wait a second, you know, that's that's kind of lame. That that you know, I, I'm I'm really limiting myself. Well, that's what happens when the child is in charge and you're not. So once you are used to active listening, it puts you into a place of choice. You can either go with the child. Or you can struggle a bit, take that leap, and just try to go toward the mature, healthy part of you. Now, at first, it, it's not that easy. And here's the rub. All habits, as I said, were learned and can be broken. But especially habits that have been going on for years and years, you can't expect that just because you challenge it once or twice, you just can't expect that it's going to roll over and just dissipate. So one of the most important things you need to recognize is that this is a process, a journey, if you will. And we are in the process of neutralizing old reflexes. And reflexes, you know, it's like a knee-jerk reflexes. They, they happen oftentimes just beneath the surface of consciousness. We're trying to make them more conscious. Once you make them more conscious, you're in a position to challenge. Now, maybe you'll need to challenge once, twice, and, and maybe you'll get better at it over time. I dare say you will. And eventually, you'll be able to shift away from listening to that child and realizing, wait a second, you know, I don't, I don't have to concede to that viewpoint. I don't have to live in dread and anticipatory anxiety about what's going to happen next week, next year. So it takes time. And it takes patience. 
and it takes practice. I mean, just think about learning an instrument. I mean, if you sit down at the piano the first time and want to play Mozart, well, you know that's not possible. But if you are industrious enough, if you are patient and tenacious enough, and you sit down and you start playing, bing, 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 well, that will grow. But you have to keep coming back at it. And you have to keep building on those experiences. And you have to keep building on building self-security, which is self-trust. So self-trust requires patience, time, and it requires that you persevere. So give, give it some thought, but realize that if you are struggling with anxiety or depression or any emotional struggle, that right now insecurity is calling the shots and you are a passive victim of the insecurity in you, the reflexive habit of insecurity, that's more or less just rolling over you in your life and you're sitting back on the sidelines, not realizing that you've lost legitimate control over your destiny. And remember I said, there's good control and there's bad control. I mean, human beings like to be in control. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's proportionate control. It's rational control. That's what we're after. The irrational, disproportionate control of neurosis and insecurity that's what we're challenging. I just wanted to give you an overview tonight of the importance of understanding the simplicity of what's going on. It's not rocket science. It's one of the things that always motivated me in psychology. And, and that was to try to break it down to common sense. That's why, to me, self-coaching had to be a language that's common sense. You're insecure, you feel vulnerable. You feel vulnerable, what do you do? You try to protect yourself. And, you know, that means, you know, any port in the storm, whatever, whatever comes around that helps you feel less vulnerable, you cling to it. And if it worked once and you do it again, it starts to become a habit. And if you keep going to it, that habit gets strengthened and strengthened. And as that gets strengthened, your self-trust diminishes because you're no longer trusting yourself, you're trusting the habits of control. So once you get to that point, now it's a matter of realizing consciousness. You need to actively listen and assert your consciousness and decide who's talking in me right now. Is it me? Is it my controlling child? Or is this my healthy, rational self? Once you have that distinction, you're in a position to start fighting. And the fighting means that at some point, if you're conscious enough and you try hard enough over time, at some point, you will give yourself the kick in the pants that gets you to take that leap of faith and say, wait a second, I'm going to risk trusting that I'm going to handle this. I'm going to risk trusting an optimistic point of view. And when you get to that point, now you're making some headway and keep it up because these are only habits. You know, when we start to mystify struggle, we're talking about circumstantial anxiety, circumstantial depression, you know, our lifestyle that just contributes to our own frustrations. You know, so it's, it's really a matter of understanding that we need to not listen to those frogs. I mean, Thumper, he, he's, a, he's a, a beautiful metaphor for you. Thumper did what he had to do, and he was quite successful, but he had an advantage over you and I. We can't just be deaf to those voices. We have to, we have to really minimize them and mute them. 
And that's what the practice that we are involved in now. So it's time and patience and perseverance. And that's it. I'm going to go take some Tylenol now and uh, wish you uh, a great week. And next week, hopefully we'll be a little more chipper and a little less nasal. How's <laughs> that sound? Well, I hope my congested, nasal-sounding voice got uh, did not infiltrate my logical thinking here. And if it did, I apologize. <laughs> but until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you're not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. How about we make it simple together? for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight. 